Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. And so we've been doing this series on Jacob. Jacob in Scripture, who later becomes Israel. We're going to talk about that today. But I kind of wanted to give a recap since we're concluding our series today. Week one, we talked about halting the hustle, right? When Jacob come out of the womb, he was already hustling, right? He had his brother's ankle in his hand, and he was coming out. And, and what we learned from that from that message was that we were born for greatness. You were, you were already great when you were born, so you don't have to strive to be great. You find your greatness in discovering your identity in Christ and, and aiming to know Jesus. Then week two, we talked about the tale of two strivers. So Jacob was the, wasn't the only one that was a striver. He also had a hairy brother named Esau, right? And Esau was a striver as well. In fact, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil stew, right? And what we learned in that series is that we don't, we don't ever want to trade our virtues for vices, right? We, we always want to stay virtuous. We don't, we don't want to do that for vices. And then the following week, we talked about the Father's blessing. And this is where Jacob pretended and went into his father and performed to get his Father's blessing. And that's one of the things that we do so many times in our life, right? We pretend to be somebody else, or we try to perform a little bit better to get our Father's blessing. But how many know that we are blessed because we're in Christ? And so we clothe ourselves with Christ, and because we clothe ourselves with Christ and carry the aroma of Christ, we have the Father's blessing, and it flows from intimacy. And then we talked about that famous story, that stairway to heaven. We talked about how God is the stairmaster, that it wasn't Jacob's ladder. Come on, it was God's ladder. He just let Jacob see it. But he saw those things. He saw the greatness when he did what? When he was working real hard? When he was conniving? No, no, no. When he laid his head down to rest, and then he was able to dream with God. And then last week, we talked about the healthy hustle, right? So there is a healthy hustle. There's a way that we want to hustle uh, rightly and appropriately. And we know that, that Jacob had went to go serve uh, under his uncle Laban. And while he was there, when he was on his way, he met Laban's daughter. And her name was Rachel. And Rachel, Rachel was, was really kind of soft on the eyes. But Leah, the other sister, had a good personality, Right, and so we, if you remember the story that they worked for seven, he worked for seven years to get Rachel wound up with Leah. How many know that, that if you live a life of deception, it'll eventually come back around to get you? And then he entered and went to work for another seven years. But it said that first seven years that he worked, it said it felt like a day. And so the healthy hustle is whenever we enter into a love relationship with Jesus, and to end to weaken the striver, we make. Let love be the driver. Amen. All right. So this week we're going to talk about clinging to God. Everybody say clinging to God. Clinging to God. So the story follows where Jacob has some family drama with Laban because Jacob starts getting blessed. He's, he's there. He's got his two wives, you know, unfortunately for Jacob. And so he's dealing with all this drama from his uncle because God starts blessing him. And then, he's, then his, uh, his father-in-law starts getting jealous, and actually starts out to kill Jacob. So Jacob's on the run. They end up reconciling. There's a whole bunch of drama there. But Jacob is heading home. If you remember back in the scriptures and whenever he came to him in Bethel, he said, you're going to come back here. This is where you're going to go. But he went away for that period of time, and he's on his way back. He has his family with him. But how many know that there's big brother Chewbacca, right, 
Esau is still alive, and Esau is still godless, and Esau's a violent man, and Jacob knows that to go back, he's got to face Esau. How many know you can run away from your problems, but if you choose to come back here, that your problems are going to be there to meet you? So Jacob comes back, he, and, he, and he's afraid, and he prays, and this is kind of where our story picks up in Genesis chapter 32, and just let me conclude that story. Jacob ends up having a, a incredible reconciliation with Esau. And I would encourage you to read the story. Go ahead and read the story, the rest of the story of Jacob, and uh, so you'll be educated because we're not going to get into all that in the series. But today I want to tell you that transformation doesn't happen in the striving, but in the clinging. Everybody say that. Transformation doesn't happen in the striving, but in the clinging. And so that's where we are transformed is in the clinging. So it says this in Genesis chapter 32. Y'all right? That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, oh, jeez, and his two maidservants and his 11 sons, that's a big, big crew, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Everybody say Jabbok. Everybody say Ford. That's not talking about a Ford truck. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 23, and he had sent them across the stream. He sent over all his possessions. So he's empty-handed. Verse 24, so Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket. He just touched him, touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. When daybreak happened, that's when Esau is going to show up. So he's like, You've, we've got to finish this interaction. But Jacob replied, but Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. There's the tenacity we've been looking for. I will not let you go until you bless me. So the man asks, what is your name? Jacob, he answers. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will no longer be deceiver, trickster, hustler, striver, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Another translation says, I saw God face to face and lived. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping. Everybody say limping. He was limping because of his hip. So we have this mysterious moment in a mysterious place, right? This, this place called a Ford. Again, not a vehicle, but a Ford is, is kind of a mysterious place. It's, it's places in the ancient world, world where they were considered gateway lands. They were kind of like border areas. And so this is a place of transition. This was a, a borderline, a threshold, and it was a place from where Jacob was going to be stepping in from one place to another. So it's interesting that God shows up in the place of transition. It's interesting that God shows up at the Jabbok River, it's actually not a river, it's a stream that feeds into the Jordan, which the Jordan is also a place of transition if you study the scriptures. 
So when we talk about these mysterious moments, we have to ask a lot of questions, right? Mystery always invites questions. I mean, when something's mysterious, what what do you do? You ask questions. You seek out what's the answer. So I want to go over a couple of questions in the text. First of all, my first question is this, is who is this man? Who is the man that shows up to talk to Jacob that day, to bless Jacob that day? Who is that? Well, Hosea chapter 12 tells, uses the word he's an angel. Now, when we talk about angel, we're not, we're not talking, first of all, we're not talking about those little figurines that you buy at the store or the pretty little, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman, you know, that's an angel. In, in Scripture, angels are, are warring soldiers for God, right? They have wings and all this kind of stuff. So Hosea says it's an angel. Now, get this, angel doesn't always mean angel. Angel actually just means messenger, right? So all angels are messengers, but not all messengers are angels. You tracking? So Hosea says it's an angel, but Jacob says it's a man. Genesis says, our text says it's a man, and then Jacob says it's God. He says, I saw God face to face, and my life was spared. So which was it? Was it God? Or was it man? It was the God-man. It was the God-man that before the foundations of the world, the one that was in on creation, come on, the one who would come later to grab the keys of death, hell, and the grave. It's the one, come on, who speaks and sickness vanishes. He's the one that removes shame, who eradicates disease. It's none other than the man, the king of the universe, the God-man, the one with fire in his eyes. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is showing up on the scene to encounter Jacob. That's who this man is, the name changer, the blesser of nations. It's Jesus. We call this a Christophany. Christophany basically means that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So here's Jesus showing up before he took on permanent flesh, right? We know that Jesus took on flesh he died, and then when he was resurrected, that flesh clothed with another flesh, right? An incorruptible flesh. So Jesus. So who is it? Who's wrestling with Jacob? It's Jesus. But why? Why does Jesus show up? Come on, Jesus. Can you get where you're supposed to be in the New Testament? Like, why are you showing up back here with Jacob? Like, what, what is happening? Why are you, Get where you're supposed to be. Why is he messing with us like this? Why does Jesus show up? Well, first of all, because Jesus is the answer. See, because before that, you read in verse 9, before we got into our text today, it says this, that Jacob prayed. And Jacob prayed that God would bless him. He was was praying out of fear. He was afraid his brother was going to come, that he was going to have to fight his brother. He was alone. So he shows up because Jesus is the answer. He shows up because Jacob was afraid. How many know that when you're afraid, Jesus will show up? He shows up because Jacob was alone. How many know when you're alone, that's when God shows up? In fact, sometimes you need, if in order to get God to show up, you need to get alone. 
And listen, if your quiet time just involves your commute with some worship music, don't expect to have much depth. If your prayer time is now I lay me down to sleep for two minutes, then don't expect to have the stability you're going to need to last all night. When was the last time that you got alone, away from your phone, Come on, maybe with a Bible, maybe it's something to write on. When was the last time you got alone with God? Because some of you are asking God for an encounter. Like he's just going to show up one day. Oh, Lord, I want you to encounter me. And he would do it in my sleep because I'm too busy the rest of the time. Well, if I just had more time. We all got the same amount of time. God just wants some of it because he wants to encounter you. Not because he's mad or ticked. I'm not shaming you because you didn't have that time. But listen, if you want to encounter with the Lord, you're going to have to get alone with God. I'm not talking about being, being to church once a month. Come on. I'm talking about getting alone with God. Be in church more than once a month. All right. So he shows up because Jesus answers. He shows up because Jacob was afraid. He shows up because Jacob was alone. And he shows up to alter Jacob's identity. He came to transform. We love it. We love it that God accepts us like we are. We love that. We love that he shows up to wrestle with us when we don't deserve it, when we're unworthy, when we're unfit. We, we love it that he takes us as we are. But the beautiful thing about God is he doesn't leave us where we are. So you're not, you're not there yet, but that's where you're heading. But it will happen with an encounter. That's why we preach encounters so much. Because we believe that if you can encounter the Lord Jesus, he will alter your identity. There was an end in mind. That's why he showed up. He showed up. He had a purpose. He shows up. He shows up to have a moment. Jacob shows up to have a match. Right? So here's Jacob. Oh. Here he comes. Now, it's believed many times in those days is that if you saw an angel or you saw God's messenger or you saw God himself, it was often believed, and this is why Jacob praised that, I saw God face to face and my life was spared because it was believed that if you saw God, you were about to, it's because he was taking you with him. So Jacob could be engaging this wrestle because he didn't want to die. So he wrestles. God shows up for a moment, Jacob, for a match. I don't, I don't know what Jacob was thinking. I mean, like he would stand a match <laughs> against what the Lord had said. I mean, he was thinking like it's scripted, like WWE, right? Like the macho man, Randy Savage. Ooh, let me tell you something, Jacob, right? Well, no, Hulkamania, you know, listen, brother. It was none of that. I mean, this wasn't scripted. This was real wrestling. I don't know if Jacob saw a chance. But who initiated? I think the note says who intimidated. But who initiated? Was it God or was it Jacob? I mean, the text appears that it was God. If it was God... Then why was God wrestling Jacob to weaken Jacob, to weaken the striver and let love be the driver? He was, he was doing it to, to weaken Jacob, to get Jacob in a receiving position. Are you in a receiving position? Or will it take God to weaken you? 
Will he have to humble you in order to exalt you? That's what Scripture says, right? Scripture says that. If we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will what? Lift us up. But what does he do with the proud? He humbles them. So here's Jacob. He's got a lot of pride. So if God shows up, if he initiated, then maybe it's to get Jacob in the receiving position in order to exalt him to his destiny. Or was it Jacob? Now, based upon Jacob's previous striving that we talk about, it's easy to assume that Jacob initiated this battle. I think it was probably Jacob. But it don't matter. Because it always takes two to tango. It doesn't matter who, who started the match. They're in it. And then we see this moment happen where it says that Jacob could not overpower him. I mean, that's the thing that's kind of crazy, right? It's like, really? I mean, Jacob's a good striver and everything, but, but this is Jesus who <laughs> he's wrestling. So who won? Who won the match? Was it God or was it Jacob? Yes. Jacob won because he got what he was fighting for. But guess what Jesus was fighting for? The same thing that Jacob was fighting. See, it's okay to wrestle with God when you're fighting for the same thing. And so they were wrestling for the same thing. See, God wasn't powerless to defeat Jacob. If he wanted to take his life at that moment, he could. We, we even see whenever he touches his hip, he touched it. He was like, bing, <laughs> destroy, right? So here's Jacob. Was it necessary? Was it necessary? This is the deal. You know why Jacob won? Because God let him win. God, God let him win. I think about my kids. Judah was in here in first service. I think about my, my boys. I like to wrestle my boys. I like to wrestle Uriah. And, you know, we, we like to wrestle. We, we do that out of affection, right? Sometimes I let them win. At this point in the game, I can win. Maybe not in 10 years. But right now, in order for them to win, I got to let them win. So why did Jacob win? Because God let him. God made it so that Jacob could not overpower him. Was the match necessary? Was this, I mean, is this absolutely necessary? For Jacob it was. See, it didn't change God. This match didn't change God. This grapple did not change God, but it changed Jacob. Jacob is being transformed. It was necessary for Jacob. It was necessary to get him to the point of brokenness, to the point of weakness, seeing that he actually needed God, that he couldn't carry on on his own. Finally, his striving was coming to an end. Have you wrestled with God? Have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever been like, God, what's going on here? Have you ever, you ever wrestled with God in your, in your thought life? God, I, I think this, but your, your word says this, and I don't really know. Can I tell you that's a good thing to do? 
It's a good thing for you to wrestle with God. It's a good thing for you to wrestle with your thoughts. It's a good thing for you to wrestle with your theology. Oh, I'm not really into theology. Sure you are. Everybody has a belief system. But have you nurtured yours? Mm-hmm. You should be a theologian because you're a Christian. You are a theologian, by the way. You just might not be a good one. But do you wrestle with your theology? Is your, is your theology the same as it was, like mine was 25 years ago? Mine, my theology is not the same as it was 25 years ago. I, I, I look at stuff that I preach, notes that I preach 25 years ago, and I look at it and I'm like, <laughs> I'm glad God's not like that. But what happened? I wrestled with the theology. I wrestled with my theories. I wrestled in the tension when things are happening that aren't going my way. Do I wrestle with the tension? God, why? Why, God, why? Do I wrestle with the mystery? Are you willing to wrestle with God? We're not wrestling against God. We're wrestling with God. We want the same outcome. We want truth. We want resolve to the ten- with, from the tension. But am I willing to wrestle with God? Or as we say in West Texas, wrestle. Or am I willing to wrestle with God to get what he wants? Because God wanted it long before Jacob did, and that's why God promised it. So we have Jacob, bing, oh, in pain. And the wrestling seems to stop. Look, Jacob's in pain. How many know that change is painful? See, we all say we like change. We don't like change. We like new. None of us really like change because change is painful. My kids have growing pains sometimes. Sometimes they're physical pain. Sometimes it's other kind of pain. Some of the pain, yeah. Sometimes it's parents' pain. But this, is, this gets Jacob to this place. That, that, that word where, where they're at, this stream that flows through there, the Jabbok. You know what that is? You know what that means? First of all, if it streams into the Jordan, which I think we talked about that a few moments ago. But it means this to empty itself. Because the Jabbok empties itself into the Jordan. The Jordan is the place of transition. Jacob was being emptied in to the place of transition. There was a transition coming, but in order for that to happen, we had to get that striver out of him. And so God touches him, messes his hip. He's in pain. He's struggling. And it says this in Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, where Hosea recounts a story. It says that he wept and pleaded for a blessing. He wept and he pleaded. And it was in his weakness, it was in his brokenness that God blesses him. Not in his striving, not in his ability to fight, but his ability to cling. See, transformation doesn't happen in the striving but in the clinging. And so Jacob is clinging in pain. Have you clinged to God? Have you wrestled with God and cling to God in your pain? Typically what we do, and I, I really think that this is a mark of a true convert or a false convert, is what do you do when the pain comes? Do you distance yourself or do you cling? You say, am I right with God? What do you do when hardship comes? Do you cling to God or do you push God away? 
Are you closer to God when it's difficult or are you further away? I know you feel further away even if you're closer. But are you willing to cling? Are you willing to cling to God in the midst of your struggle? Get this. God is more concerned about you than your circumstance. So what he wants you to do is cling to him. Whether or not the circumstance changes, I'm clinging to God. He's struggling. I'm hurting. I'm in pain, but I'm clinging. I'm holding out as long as it happens. But, Pastor, I've been praying. I've been praying for three or four months. I've been praying for three or four minutes every day. Are you willing to hold on? Say, well, what's the formula? How long do I pray? As long as it takes. Because when you cling to God, it's a process that says, as long as it takes. Listen, I know that he will never leave you, but will you leave him? If you can't get him to do what you want him to do, will you leave him? Will your love endure all things? Will your love suffer all things? Will it suffer long? Are you willing to cling? Are you willing to hold on as long as it takes? We're talking about this. We're talking about the place of prayer. We're talking about the place where we draw near to God. When we draw near with our affections and our attention, Jesus teaches in prayer in Luke chapter 11. He teaches the Luke's version of the, of the Lord's Prayer, not the Matthew version that we're so familiar with, but the Luke version. And then it says this, then teaching them more, Luke eleven five, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. <laughs> Don't come to my house at midnight. I'm just saying. I will be asleep. And I'll be like, go, I'll, I, just like this guy. Suppose you go to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You said to him, hey, a friend of mine, another friend of mine came to visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. I mean, you know, if people are going to come visit, you need to have things to eat, even in the Bible. All right, verse 7. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. Now, the way houses were built in those days is they were, they were open. The windows were open. They didn't have actual windows. They just had openings. Openings, they called windows. Openings, they called doors. But at night, they put a door there, and it was kind of cumbersome. So once you went to bed, you locked up the door, and you went to bed. So it was a hassle for this man to answer his friend's request. So he's like, I got a friend coming to town. I want to feed him. I want to be a good, hospitable person, so I want to give him some food. And he goes, so give me some bread. I need to borrow some bread, right? No. Go, go away. We're in bed. This is what happens if you show up to my house asking for bread at midnight. <laughs> Go. You should have bought some yesterday. Bye. Right? Go away. Don't text me at midnight unless it's an emergency. I'll help you. I'll, I'll, I'll do it for that. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night. And it says this, verse 8, but I'll tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake. <laughs> he, won't do, he won't do it because you're his boy. I'm not going to do it because you're my friend. <laughs> and then it says this, if you keep knocking long enough, everybody say long enough. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. <laughs> not because he's such a kind-hearted neighbor, 
but because you are willing to knock on that door as long as it takes. And Jesus says, this is kind of like prayer. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. Just keep on knocking. Just keep on asking. Well, I asked. I guess, the, well, guess it wasn't the will of God. Maybe God just wanted to have some fellowship. And he wanted you at his door knocking. Maybe he wanted to hang out and be in relationship with you and wrestle and grapple a little bit. Maybe he wanted to just kind of get in the room with you and just hold on all night. But you weren't willing to knock. So he's like, how long? If it, just so I can get some time in with you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone, everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Listen, we're not begging God like a beggar. But we are going to God saying, God, I need this to happen in my life. But this is the thing. When you are praying, you're not focused on the product. You're focused on the person. When you pray, it's the time for you to get together and fellowship with God. I know you have a need. Talk about the need, but spend time with the man. Because we say, well, I've prayed about it. Put it on Facebook and had all my friends pray about it. Even made a little Instagram video story, pray for your boy. Right? I did all the stuff. Prayer's going up. We just throw a little prayer, throw a little prayer. Listen, are you willing to pray? I know you prayed, but have you prayed? Have you got before God? Have you, have you got down on your knees? Have you got beside your bed? Have you, have you gripped the nightstand till your fingers dig into it? Have you, have you begged God to do a work, not just to change your situation, but do a work in your life? This is where I'm at. I'm like, God, work in my heart. Did you pray in the midst of pain, in the midst of fear, in the midst of loneliness all night? And this is the thing. There's a reward. Listen, there's a reward when we invest in prayer. Even if we invest two minutes, there's a reward that comes from it. You might not see it today. You might not see it tomorrow. But every time you pray, it is never a waste. Never a waste. None of those thoughts and prayers are wasted. None of them. Maybe the thoughts, but not the prayers. They were never wasted. I love what uh, Psalm 126 says. The Lord gave us a very clear word on this a couple of years ago. It says, those who plant in tears will reap a harvest with shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. There's another passage in Psalms that says that God remembers our tears and keeps them in a bottle. I asked the Lord. This has been maybe about five years ago. I was like, Lord, Why? Why do you keep track of my tears in a bottle? That's weird. And he spoke this verse to me. Because those that sow in tears will reap in joy. And I will make sure. I will make sure that you reap where you have sown. So, beloved, when you sow in tears before the throne of God, saying, God, I'm asking that you would do a work in my life. When you know that your heavenly Father is a good rewarder, and he's going to take good care of you, and he will answer every tear that you shed. And this is what it says. It says, they weep as they go out to plant their seed. This isn't fun. I'm planting seed. But they sing. As they return with the harvest. Beloved, there is a song coming. Invest in tears. See, prayer is not just about the end product, but the enduring process.
Prayer is not about the end product, but the enduring process. And the focus of prayer is not your need. It's the one whom you're conversing with. So we see with Jacob, he prays. He gets to this position and he asks. See, the blessing comes. We see the blessing come when Jacob is holding on. Right? Transformation doesn't happen in the striving, but in the clinging. Then Jacob asks. It's the first time in the narrative that we see that Jacob asks. I mean, he's wrestling all night, and finally he goes, oh, I'm in pain. Lord, would you bless me? Why did he wait so long to ask? I don't know. He's holding on. He's asking. Number three, when Jacob is genuine with who he is. See, God does, is not interested in you getting before him and saying all the right things and praying all the right prayers. There are right things and there are right prayers to pray, beloved. Get, get no mistake about it. But really what he wants is he wants you to get in the room and to be real. Because some of you get before God and you're pretending just like Jacob did with Esau. Oh, look at me, look at me, look what I've done, God. And so he asks him <laughs> who his name is. Do you remember? I want you to bless me. All right. What's your name? Now, he knew his name. Jesus knew his name. But did Jacob forget his name? Did Jacob forget his identity? Did Jacob, did Jacob forget that he was the decisive, divisive supplanter, the trickster? Did, did Jacob forget that? He was divisive. Come on. He was, he was deceptive. Jacob was deceptive. Deceiver. That's what his name literally means. Deceiver. What's your name? Deceiver. Striver. Trickster. Supplanter. That's my name. Not anymore. It's not. Not anymore. It's not. So the blessing comes when he's holding, when he asks, when he's genuine with who he is. And the fourth thing about that is this, is that when Jacob was seeking to know God, so he asked him his name. He's like, you're not going to be Jacob anymore. And then Jacob says, what's your name? He's like, I'm not going to tell you. In fact, he doesn't say anything. He answers with a blessing. See, when we seek to know God, there's blessing there. There's blessing awaiting when we are seeking to know God. And this is when Jacob got blessed. God changed his name, and then Jacob gets blessed. When? When he goes let me show you who I am. You'll know my name later. They'll call me Emmanuel. They'll call me Jesus later. But right now, right now, this is what I want you to know. Bless you. Jesus didn't reveal his identity to Jacob. He introduced Jacob to Israel. <laughs> let me show you who you've been all along and you didn't know. Let me show you who you've been all along and you didn't even know. You're not Jacob anymore. You're not a striver. You're not conniving. You're not supplanter. You're not trickster. You're not deceiver. You're Jacob. You're the one that struggled with God and overcame. See, in the clinging, we discover that. We discover a new identity. You want transformation? It's in the clinging. In the clinging, we discover a new identity. 
the name Israel means struggles with God. That doesn't seem like a positive thing, but whenever you see that you're struggling with God and not struggling against God, that you understand that it's an active dialogue and confrontation with God. It's, it's, it's a good confrontation. It's saying, God, here we are. This is where we're at. How I many you know there is a good, healthy struggle for you to have in the tension, dealing with the tension? And it says this, that he overcame. The, the, old, the old translation says that as he struggled with God and prevailed. He struggled with God and prevailed. That word, that, that word in the Hebrew actually means that he prevailed with the power of a prince. Jacob's his son. He's not Jacob anymore. He's the son who overcomes. He's the prince that overcomes. Same word we get, principalities, by the way. That means an area that's under the, a govern, governing authority. I mean, there's unholy principalities and there's holy principalities. You're called to bring holy principalities everywhere you go because you clean. The second thing that Jacob gets is a walk. Everybody say a walk. A walk, a new walk. Jacob had a little bit, a little bit of swag after that day. Right? Esau's like, what did you get yourself into? He walked with a limp for the rest of his life. He walks with a limp. All these other moments that he's had with God, he creates a monument. Now the monument is a limp. It's something that's attached to who he is. And what I love about the limp is that everywhere Jacob goes, there's the limp. And people go, what happened to you? And he says, let me tell you. See, they used to call me Jacob. And I was a striver, man. I just worked so hard to impress everybody around me. I just worked so hard for what I wanted. But one night, God showed up. And I wrestled him to the dawn. And then he touched my hip. Oh, and it hurt. But let me tell you why it's so worth it. Because he's changed who I am. He gave me a new walk. Someone said one time, they said, never trust a leader with a, without a limp. I was like, I don't know. I don't know some pretty trustworthy <laughs> Never trust a leader without an encounter. A new walk. We'll close with this passage, Colossians chapter 1. I want you to look into this, story, this, this uh, prayer with me. I want you to see the story of Jacob that we just talked about. It's all over this. Paul is praying for the, the church, and he says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying. We were clinging. We've been going before God. We're praying, man. We're pray- we, we didn't just put it on Facebook. Like, we're actually praying. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we also pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Now, how many of you know you're already worthy? God already sees you worthy. Your worth is revealed in Jesus. We devoted a whole series to that. But you're living a life that's worthy. You're not just a worthy person. You're actually living worthy. It's a high bar. And he's praying this. I pray that in order you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him. And 
every way. Not just on Sundays. Bearing fruit in every good work. That the things that you do are fruitful, growing in the knowledge of God. There it is again. Who are you? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance, so that you'd be able to hold on, so that you'd be able to cling and patience and joyful, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Jacob had done everything to disqualify himself from the promises of God. He so has. He so does. We've studied this story, man. He, had, he's, he blew it so many times. He did so many things to disqualify himself. But Jesus still shows up. I know you've done a lot to disqualify yourself, but you're not, you're not, you're not qualified because you're so skilled or because you're so pretty or because you're so gifted or because you're such a good Christian. No, no, no. You're qualified because Jesus has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints, in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He comes into that dark night of the desert. Jacob, here I come. And he rescues us. He delivers us and brings us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. 